Welcome everyone to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast presented by Subway. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at the Score, and I am joined by the Score's David P. Woods, a man who has been under the weather this week, but he recovered just enough to be with us today. Yeah, sorry uh, in advance for my raspy voice. I'm playing hurt here, but uh, anything for the podcast. I'm certainly not going to miss one. Not uh, the last week of the fantasy regular season, so we're going to power through. I'm digging the raspy voice, Woods, and we're definitely happy you're here because there is a lot to talk about this week. On today's episode, we're going to discuss a couple players who we think are announcing their arrivals as fantasy stars for the rest of the season. Then we're going to preview week 13 with our guest, Jody Smith of Fantasy Pros. And we're going to get all his thoughts on the biggest fantasy questions heading into this week, including a bunch of backfields that are in flux because of injuries and one pretty notable suspension. We're also going to ask him, why is Jarvis Landry not producing? What is going on there? We're going to talk about which defenses you should be stashing before the fantasy playoffs that can help you out when that comes around. And as always, we're going to give you some players who are being overlooked this week. Before we get into all that, though, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor, every podcast platform out there. Take a look for us. Make sure you click the subscribe button. And once you do, do us a favor, give us a rating and a review. All right, Woods, let's take a look at a couple players who've burst onto the scene in our Fantasy Arrivals segment, which is presented by our friends at Subway home of the new Montreal Steak Spice Collection. And I had to pick this player, Woods, not only because I think he has a chance to have a breakout in the coming weeks, but I outbid you for him in our main league together last night. He has seven touchdowns on the year. It's Mike Williams. So the yardage and, you know, the targets really haven't been there for him yet. And we're going to talk about the Melvin Gordon injury in a little bit and how that impacts the Chargers offense as a whole. One of the possibilities is that it might actually make them pass a little more. His two biggest days of the year for Williams came early in the season when they were playing the Chiefs and they were playing the Rams. Those are teams that forced them into high-scoring games, forced them to throw the ball more, and those were the two best games of the season for Williams. They had over 80 yards in each of those games. One of the things they've been able to do since then, their schedule's not been that tough. They've been winning a lot of games. They've been able to lean on the run, and Melvin Gordon, they might not be able to do that as much anymore. So we're going to see... You know, two of their next three games here are going to be against the Steelers and the Chiefs again. You would figure those are going to be games where they're going to have to throw to stay in them and keep up. And we also saw his teammate, Tyrell Williams, limited to just nine snaps last week. He's playing with a quad injury. Not sure where he's at this week. We'll have to watch his practice participation. But if he's still hurting, that's going to be another boost to Mike Williams' value. And obviously, I stole them from you, Woods, so I can't mention that enough. Well, yeah, that's true. So uh, let's just move on to my guy. I, it's honestly, it's a hard week to find guys who you'd say burst onto the scene. Maybe this is someone who sort of has slowly crept onto the scene, and it might finally happen for him. It's another wide receiver who might break out. Josh Dotson with Washington. He had six catches for 66 yards in Week 12. Those are both season highs for him. I know that doesn't sound like a ton, but there are some reasons for optimism here. It seems like Colt McCoy, who took over for the injured Alex Smith, is just looking at Dotson a little bit more than Smith did. He's just a little bit more aggressive than Alex Smith. I mean, it's hard for any quarterback not to be more aggressive than Alex Smith, but if there's one thing we're confident Dawson can do, it's sort of go up and get jump balls, contested balls. That's obviously his best trait, and I think Colt McCoy is willing to put him in a situation to do that a little bit more. Sort of the end of his third season, it would make sense if he's a slow developer that maybe it's going to finally come on for him here, and Dawson gets a weak Eagles secondary this week, so I, I, I like him as a deeper wide receiver start. 
It's an interesting call. I think I've been in and out on Dachshund so many times that I'm still shying away from him, but he definitely has a chance in that matchup this week to get something going. Uh, Let's bring on our guest today. The first year that I competed in the Fantasy Pros Most Accurate Expert Competition, it was 2012. I finished eight that year. I was very happy with that finish. But our guest today was the one who finished in first that year. It was Jody Smith. And all these years later, he actually works at Fantasy Pros now. And there is a reason for that. He is very good at what he does. You can find him on Twitter, at JodySmithNFL. Jody, we've done some mock drafts together. We've talked a few times. It's nice to finally have you on the pod, though. Yeah, I do uh, appreciate that. And uh, that was also my first year uh, doing the rankings, too. But to give yourself some credit, you've actually maintained much more success at it uh, moving forward than I have. But where, you know, I was able to finagle it into, you know, I guess a job with the guys. But, uh, you know, congratulations to you for, you know, all the success you continue to have uh, doing ratings. And even this season, you're still doing better than I am. So, uh, you know, props to you. Well, I appreciate that. I think I would trade it all for a first place, though. I am very competitive and it's like fantasy leagues, right? You get that one championship. That's all that matters. You want that one title. You mortgage everything to get that one title as opposed to, you know, making the playoffs every season or that kind of thing. Yeah. And the tro- like I said, the trophy's nice. It's sitting right here and, uh, you know, collecting dust, basically, where uh, somebody like yourself who's considered consistently been in the top 10 though i'm sure your listeners and all your readers really appreciate that you've been able to be so successful over such a long stretch of time i hosted a reddit ama a couple weeks ago and somebody asked hey what happened to your rankings (laughs) like i don't really have an answer for you i think the uh to be honest with you uh the competition has just gotten so much better with all the analytics crowd and all the smarter people like yourself uh that have come around and just made it much more difficult for an old school guy like me Well, I appreciate the kind words. That's very nice of you to say. We'll start talking about the games this week. We're entering the final week of the regular season in most fantasy leagues. Like Woods mentioned, this is going to be the final battle to get a playoff spot or for playoff positioning for fantasy owners. It is a terrible time to have a few star running backs out of the lineup. So let's start with Fournette. He leaves the bench last week. He you know, starts a fight with uh, Shaq Lawson of the Bills. Results in a one-game suspension. We already have the appeal go through, and he is going to be suspended this week. We know for sure now. The Jaguars went out and got insurance for him. I think it was because they were worried he was going to get hurt again, but they went out and got Carlos Hyde before the trade deadline. Hyde hasn't done that much since he got to Jacksonville. Earlier in the season, though, when Fournette was out, we saw TJ Yeldon play pretty well. He did pretty well for fantasy owners. Jody, with Fournette out, how do you see this backfield turning out this week? They're playing the Colts. You know, who do you think is going to be the more valuable fantasy play between those two? You got to lean towards Yeldon here in this spot, not only because Yeldon has that track record here with the Jags where they were using him kind of as a featured guy while Fournette was out. And, you know, we're kind of used to Fournette being out at this point. But even looking at last week, Yeldon was much busier in the game after Fournette was gone than than Hyde when Hyde got the opportunity to play. And then looking at the matchup. Now, the Colts, they've given up the 11th most fantasy points to running backs. And, you know, that sounds pretty good. But they've actually been much better against the run than they have against the pass. Uh, Against the run, they've only given up 998 rushing yards and five touchdowns to running backs. That's actually 16th. So they're right there in the average. However, when you look at what they're doing through the air to running backs, they've given up 79 receptions. That's the second most. 640 receiving yards. That's the fourth most. And then um, while they've given up five rushing scores, three have come through the air to running backs. So looking at this game, I expect that the Jaguars, who are going to have, let's face it, they're going to be more competent through the air with a new quarterback. So you have to assume that that kind of play calling is going to be much more conducive to fantasy points for Yeldon. 
Looking at last week, Yeldon, 24 snaps. Carlos Hyde only had 16. Hyde was, like I said, he only got carries because Fournette was, uh, you know, sidelined or in the locker room or on his way down the tunnel fighting through the locker room. Anyway, in this particular matchup against the Colts, I'm expecting a lot more success for the uh, Jaguars through the air. So that's definitely going to be – I'm not really that interested in, in Hyde. I want to see what he does first with more of a more of a share of the carries. But I have Yeldon as a pretty solid RB2 this week. Yeah, I have him maybe just outside of the RB2 range. I have him more as a maybe RB3 with upside. Looking back at what he did earlier in the season, 69 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown in week one. 71 yards in week two, 90 yards in week three, 100 yards and two scores in week four, and at 122 yards and a touchdown in week five. We just haven't seen Hyde get involved in the offense. Now, a lot's going to change with, you know, new offensive coordinator. There's going to be some changes there. But, you know, even with Fournette back, Yeldon still had 63 yards on eight touches against the Colts in week 10. So with the Colts favored and, you know, the Jags offensive line really banged up, I'm going with Yeldon out of the two of them woods. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i not so sure Hyde's not the one that you want. I don't think you want either of them very much, and I think we can all agree on that. But I just, there's, what, is, what do the Jaguars have to play for at this point? I mean, they've benched Blake Bortles, they fired their offensive coordinator, they're sort of just playing for pride at this point, and that's a team that went out and traded for Carlos Hyde for some reason. The reason, ostensibly, is to start when Leonard Fournette's not healthy, and I guess now that he's suspended. So I'm not sure we can assume that they won't just feed a bunch of carries to Hyde, sort of try to justify why they traded a mid-round pick for him. And I'm not sure that Hyde is a way worse receiver than TJ Yeldon. I, mean, I think Hyde's competent catching the ball if they end up in a negative game script sort of throwing dump offs I think Hyde can catch those too so I, I have them sort of as a more of a coin flip this week of which one is likely to have a better week but I think the, the most likely scenario is that neither of them is going to do a whole lot and, and that's fair and I, I agree with your point that you know the situation for the Jaguars you just see with that team they're going in the wrong direction right like they're going the complete opposite direction of the Colts who are going to be on the other side of the field the Colts definitely coming on a bit here you know they're winning more we really like what we're seeing from their offense Andrew Luck looks great Unfortunately, Marlon Mack in concussion protocol. It's possible he still gets cleared before Sunday, though. We have to say that. You know, we've seen a lot of teams, though, play it safe with star players, keep them out an extra week, especially a team like the Colts that, you know, maybe hopes to make the playoffs this year. Maybe they want to make sure he's back and completely healthy. If he is out for this game, that would leave the rookies, Naheem Hines, Jordan Wilkins. Jody, you know, if Mack gets cleared... Obviously, I'm, I'm pretty confident in him, even in this matchup with the Jags defense. I know that they're decent against the run, but going back to, you know, what's their passion? What's their motivation at this point in the season? I don't know we're going to be getting their best. But if he's not cleared, who would you rather start out of Hines and Wilkins? Yeah, that's been the one area of consistency for Jacksonville in a season of inconsistencies. They've, they've stayed really, really good against the running backs. Just looking at fantasy points, they're actually the toughest uh, in the league. They've only given up five rushing scores all year and they're giving them under 80 rushing yards a game but in looking at the usage I, I look back to when Marlon Mack actually came back and from that point forward Naheem Hines has actually stayed on a field and had a consistent role with Mack he's played about a third of the snaps and since Marlon Mack came back in week six Hines has actually gotten 36 rushing attempts and he's caught 11 passes Jordan Wilkins in that same time has only exceeded 10 snaps twice and he's only got 13 carries since week six and four catches um it looks to me like Naheem Himes has really established himself as the second running back here and you know he would be the one that they seem to want to feature um 
Wilkins would probably, as a bigger back, would get a few more carries. But like I said, with it being a tough running, rushing defense, I, I'm expecting that the Colts would just remain a lot pass heavier, and that kind of game script would would favor Hines a lot more. So, uh, you know, in this particular situation, it's like the Jaguars. I'm favoring the pass catching back, whereas Hines is it's closer to your Yeldon and Wilkins. Might be a better bet on on the goal line, but like I said, the Jaguars have only given up five rushing scores. So in in a case like this, Hines is maybe on an RB three radar for me, and I just don't see Wilkins getting enough touches to be really relevant this week. I'm totally with Jody here, and to me, it just comes down to talent. I think Hines is a far more dynamic talent than Wilkins, and he's the only one I'm interested in. I'm actually pretty interested in Hines this week if Marlon Mack sits out. I think the Colts just know that Wilkins is a, is a very replacement-level talent. They didn't even give him a rush attempt last week after Marlon Mack suffered the concussion. They just threw him a few passes, and I think Wilkins lost a fumble. So I expect maybe a pretty big workload for Hines there. And I'm not sure he won't take the goal line work, too. So I, I'd stick him in my lineup, and I'd, I'd have no interest in, in playing Jordan Wilkins. Well, I will say that I, I put Mack in my initial rankings, the early edition of my rankings on Tuesday, because I feel like a concussion is one of those injuries that we do sometimes see guys come back from. But we're going to have to monitor his practice participation all week. If he's out, I have to agree with you guys. As much as it probably makes for a bad podcast, you want to sit here and have an argument over it. But Hines is the more dynamic player. Totally agree with you, Woods. And I think that they're going to be smart and spread the field out. And they're going to use him. And we've seen him go out wide. They've lined him up kind of everywhere. I think that's going to be the way to attack the Jags. And I think they're not going to have much trouble doing it. And I also wonder, you don't know, like if Max out, I would assume they're still going to go back to Wilkins. But... A rookie has that bad fumble last week. Maybe they're going to continue to punish him, and maybe Hines will get an even bigger workload because of that. We'll see. You know, now that the Jags basically don't have any hope of making the the postseason, now that that's gone, it really adds sort of a strange element to that game. Looking at the Chargers game, they definitely are going to make the postseason here. But, you know, without Melvin Gordon, it's going to be a little bit more difficult now. Gordon was diagnosed with a grade two MCL sprain. He's expected to miss at least a few weeks here. Seems like the earliest we could get him back at this point is week 15 against the Chiefs, but that would be probably cutting it a little tight. I think they might be smart and might want to keep him out a little longer because of their playoff aspirations there. It would make sense in my mind to do that. Eckler's the clear backup, Austin Eckler. But also seventh rounder, Justin Jackson, he's been pretty intriguing here. Last week had 57 yards on seven carries after uh, Gordon left the game there. It was a blowout win over the Cardinals, though, so that factors in. Uh, Jody, what kind of production do you expect from that Chargers backfield if Gordon's out? Is it going to be, you know, all Eckler? Or might we be surprised and see more of a split between him and Jackson? You might see... I'm going to expect if, if you're looking... Let's look back at week seven when, when Melvin Gordon was held out there in London... Uh, Eckler got 95% of the snaps that week. Now, he didn't have a particularly effective game. He only had 12 carries for 42 yards, but he did he did catch five of seven targets for 26 yards. So overall, 17 touches. That That's a pretty respectable role. Looking at the Chargers for the rest of the season, you got a, you know, kind of a tough matchup this week. And then in week 16, championship week, when I'm not expecting Melvin Gordon to come back in a regular season, because at this point, the Chargers have pretty much locked up a playoff spot. So... Let's go ahead and assume that Gordon is going to miss the, these final four games. You got a couple of tough games here with this week, and then you got Baltimore. They're second when it comes to fantasy defenses. Now, in the two weeks in between, they're week 14 and 15. You got a couple of really, really appealing games, and that's against the Bengals and the Chiefs, the, the two worst teams against the run. I'm expecting Eckler. He won't get that 95% snap rate that we got in week seven now that, that Jackson is in the mix. But I do think he's going to be the guy they're going to kind of want to feature here. 
He did get a goal line touchdown in that game in the second half last week after Gordon was out of the game. It makes more sense that they would kind of give those carries to Jackson, and they're going to have a week of practice here to get more comfortable with him working in. He is six foot, 199 pounds, so he's a bigger option there, and he looked pretty good with his uh, limited touches last week. Of course, it was, like you said, uh, Justin, it came in a, in a blowout situation. I think Eckler is is due to his pass-catching prowess. He's going to be the guy you're going to want to focus on. I don't think you're going to see too many targets for Jackson. So he's definitely the guy that is probably going to get 75 to 80% of the snaps here, and that's going to make him really, really relevant You know, on the RB2 radar for the next four weeks. Looking at this week specifically with the Steelers, their run D, it's been pretty good as long as Stephon Tuitt has been out there, right? And he said he expects to play this week. Without him the last few weeks, they've been absolutely gashed. They gave up at least 110 yards and a touchdown to Christian McCaffrey, to Fournette, and to Philip Lindsay the last three weeks. So his return isn't great news for anyone in this backfield. I do think Eckler is the obvious play here, and I do see him as a mid to low end RB2 with Jackson as more of a flex play. I think there's a chance that Jackson could surprise us. I also have liked what I've seen from him. I like his skill set. I think he would be a guy that would be capable of carrying a lot of volume if they ever needed him to. And the possibilities there that, you know, Eckler could get banged up. That's, you know, if we don't think Gordon's going to be back for maybe a month, maybe not the regular season at all here. There's always a chance that Jackson could end up with a bigger injury or bigger role there. Uh, looking at some of the other injuries, Andy Dalton gets put on IR, torn ligaments in his thumb. It's an unfortunate situation, but that team is another one of those teams that was going in the wrong direction already. That's going to mean a big dose of Jeff Driscoll the rest of the season. It's, you know, it's not like their offense has been a complete disaster when it comes to fantasy. There, you know, there's been guys, you know, uh, Joe Mixon having a pretty good season. Uh, Tyler Boyd, obviously, uh, you know, exceeded expectations in a lot of ways. A.J. Green, unfortunately, has been sidelined, but it sounds like he's going to come back this week. He's saying that he's going to play this week. So with Dalton out, Jody, you know, what do you think that the fantasy impact is going to be on this offense do you think maybe that Green or any of the guys, if we see another injury happen here, we're just going to slowly see Bengals guys with minor injuries maybe, you know, take the rest of the year off? Or, you know, do you think that Mixon with Boyd could continue to produce and be fantasy, strong fantasy starters? Well, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a surprise at all, honestly, to see the Bengals just decide to shelve Mixon later on in the season or maybe not even put Green back out there. Like you just said, it sounds like I'm sure he wants to get out there and play, but it's pretty much a lost season now for the Bengals. And you're talking about a team that's probably going to blow up the front office and start all over an offseason. So who knows going forward what's going to happen here. With Jeff Driscoll in, in the lineup, you have to be, I think, concerned about everyone. I'm not so much concerned about Joe Mixon, I think that they'll continue to to emphasize a run with him. He just played a season-high 53 snaps. He had 155 total yards last week. The matchup, it's not so bad for the run game. The Broncos have only been average against running backs, and they've allowed 1,212 rushing yards to the position. That's fifth most in football. The problem for the Bengals, in, in my opinion, is going to be with Driscoll under center. 5.3 yards per attempt uh, as a passer last week uh, – a little bit problematic. He, you know, he's okay as a, I guess as a runner. You know, he's got a couple of rushing scores this season, but if he's only targeting getting 5.3 yards in attempt, that's a problem for AJ Green. Um, I, and this week in particular, I, I'm not real excited about about Boyd matched up with Chris Harris in the slot for Denver. That's that's kind of problematic for me. And John Ross, uh, you know, again, he's played over 90% of the snaps while AJ Green has been sidelined. And if Green is back, you have to assume that that uh, slot, that snap rate is going to 
go down big time for Ross, but also he's only caught seven out of 20 targets in that time for 97 total yards. Now he scored in each game, which is great, but he's completely touchdown dependent. And when you have a backup quarterback getting out there, you don't have that same rapport, uh, you know, just has, happens to be a concern overall. So where I'm approaching my, my rankings for the Cincinnati passing game, I would be very cautious. Uh, I have Boyd about 10 spots normally lower than I would normally put him in the same with Green. And at this point, you know, we're still waiting to get definitive word if he's playing or not. But let's assume that he's out there. Uh, to me, with that backup quarterback, you know, I'm going to have Green somewhere probably in the, I don't know, wide receiver 18 to wide receiver 22 range, which is, you know, pretty much significantly lower than I would normally have him. I think you guys covered it pretty thoroughly, but I'll just tack on that there are even more reasons to be pessimistic about this offense, which is that they had two pretty important offensive linemen missing practice today. In a, uh, we're going to see Cedric Obwehi out there maybe this week, who was basically a turnstile in the past because, I mean, practice reports can change and maybe these guys will play, but Cordy Glenn and Jake Fisher are both sort of banged up right now and we may not see them that this weekend. So I think you knock down the run game if that happens, you knock down the pass game. I mean, how can you get excited about a team that's basically falling apart with a backup quarterback behind a leaky offensive line there's just there's nothing to like here yeah for sure and I would question their motivation for bringing AJ Green back at this point it really seems like it would be a a strange decision although we know a couple years ago we had the exact same thing right where they sort of got into it because Green wanted to come back and the team didn't want him to I'm also going to question the Ravens motivation for bringing Joe Flacco back if they bring him back at some point here and install him as the starter because this offense wasn't doing very much with Flacco under center really kind of grinding to a halt there the hip injury gave them an excuse to go to Lamar Jackson. Since then, they've won. They were two easy matchups, but they've won both those games. And Jackson has shown some things, right? He's kickstarted the running attack there. He's done some damage on the ground more so than he has through the air. But we're not sure on Flacco's health at the moment. But we do know that Lamar is going to start in week 13 against the Falcons. This is also going to be his first road start, right? And it's against a team with a better offense than what he's gone against the last couple of weeks. So it could be a situation we know the Ravens' defense doesn't travel very well necessarily, or at least not as good on the road. Could be a situation where maybe they fall behind here. We're going to have to see if Jackson can throw in order to keep that team in it. Jody, what do you think this week for Jackson, for Gus Edwards? Are they going to continue the recent success that they've had when they're going up against Atlanta? I think they're certainly going to try. I think, you know, they're going to walk into a game plan here looking at how, how bad the, the Falcons have been against the run, allowing the third most fantasy points to running back. So I think that's going to be their focus as long as Gus Edwards is healthy. I know we set out practice today. It doesn't sound like it's anything too major, but, you know, it's something obviously to be monitored. The Falcons. Uh, let's look at the last seven running backs that have faced Atlanta. Uh, James Conner put up 185 yards, two touchdowns. Peyton Barber, 106 and a touchdown. Saquon Barkley, 94 yards and a touchdown. Now, the Redskins got blown out, so they weren't even able to do anything. And then it gets even worse. Nick Chubb put up 209 yards and two scores. Ezekiel Elliott, 201 yards and a score. And then last week, Alvin Kamara put up 98 yards. Running backs have just been absolutely obliterating Atlanta in, in the last four or five weeks. I expect you're talking about Baltimore. This this team has run, what, 35, 40 times over the last couple of weeks for 240 yards. Obviously, that's going to be exactly what they intend to do here. Best thing they can do is keep Falcons sidelined as much as they possibly can. And the best way to do that, obviously, is to just keep running the ball. And like you were saying, Justin, I don't see any reason why they would go back to Joe Flacco at this point. You'd have to see a disastrous game 
out of Jackson or, or an injury for them to consider doing that. It's actually a pretty good matchup also for Jackson as a passer if they actually end up having to change things up and go after that. But ideally, you want Jackson back there taking it chances, maybe calling his own number, running a few times. The, the Falcons have been pretty vulnerable to running quarterbacks. Uh, Cam Newton put up 42 on them. They gave up uh, almost 40 yards to Taysom Hill. Baker Mayfield, Alex Smith, Jameis Winston, these are all guys that have run for 20 or 30 yards against this defense. And, I, you know, I don't I don't know why you're, you're Baltimore. You've won two games in a row. You're right in the thick of the playoffs here. So you got to stick with what's been working. And the only thing is, like you mentioned, is their defense. If the Falcons get – if the Falcons get off to a 17, 24 point lead, then we're going to have a problem. But otherwise I think you just stick with what's been working and, and uh, you're going to see another 35, 40 rush attempts here out of the, out of Baltimore. And another wrinkle is going to be that the Falcons might get star linebacker Deion Jones back in this one. We'll see. They haven't made a decision yet, whether he's actually going to play or not this year. They don't have much to, to play for necessarily, but if he's back in the lineup, that could make that defense at least a little bit better. But I still like Jackson and Edwards in this one, Woods. Yeah, I was going to say about Jones, I think you probably couldn't find a better linebacker in the NFL to spy a running quarterback than Jones when he's healthy. But this would be Jones's first game back off IR. So I'm not sure we're going to see him anywhere near full speed. And as for Jackson... I'm, I'm going to make the case that he's going to keep the job, which is going to sort of co- contradict some things I've said on this podcast, because at first I thought this is a team that's in the thick of the playoff race. They're going to go back to their guy, Joe Flacco. But now that we've seen a couple weeks out of Lamar Jackson, the more I've thought about it, I just, I can't stop making the connection to another NFL team that sort of, in the past that sort of benched a similar level of quarterback, sort of like a mid-level guy. It was Alex Smith when the 49ers played Colin Kaepernick, and they rode this sort of exciting, flashy, young running quarterback all the way to the Super Bowl, and that was John Harbaugh's brother there so I just wonder if we so there are sort of rumors that this could be the end of John Harbaugh's tenure in Baltimore maybe the best way to anchor himself in the NFL is to say this rookie quarterback's playing the rest of the year we're going to take him as far as he goes and any potential that he shows comes back to me you got to keep me around next year to, to keep developing this guy so I just the more and more I think about it I don't think we're going to see Joe Flacco back in this lineup but maybe that all changes with a bad loss but until we get one out of Jackson I think you just keep rolling with him and I think he's probably going to win again this week yeah, he would have to completely fall on his face, I think, at this point, or they would have to just be unbelievably foolish. I have Jackson as a borderline QB1, and the only reason I have him that low is because there's just so many good quarterbacks out there. It's hard to move him up much higher unless you're just going to completely take a chance and play him over a guy that is more consistent and has more of a track record than he does, maybe even a better matchup. There are so many good quarterbacks out there, and for Edwards mid-range RB2 there uh, you know uh, Jody mentioned it just how bad the the Falcons are at defending running backs unless maybe Deion Jones can help that but I think the other thing too and we're going to mention this a lot as we get to this point in the season the Ravens have something to play for here they are right in the thick of a playoff race the Falcons not so much so we'll see how that impacts them the Ravens schedule is also very favorable the rest of the way and, you know, that's going to help. You know, it's going to help Jackson probably continue to produce well and keep that job. And it's going to help Edwards maybe propel some people to fantasy titles here. For the Broncos, they're another team with an outside shot at the playoffs here. They might have to win out to do it, though. But they also have a very good schedule. Outside of Philip Lindsay, Emmanuel Sanders, they have some fantasy assets, but fantasy assets that have lacked consistency this year, right? The the schedule makes them a little more enticing down the stretch, though. Cortland Sutton hasn't really blown up the way maybe we thought he was going to when Demaryius Thomas got traded away. 
They just lost Jeff Hireman for the season. That means Matt Lacoste is going to take over at tight end. He at least, you know, he had a decent game last week, 34 yards and a touchdown. And Case Keenum is there too. And when you have this good of a schedule, you know, there's a lot of good quarterbacks out there. But if you need someone to play with this good of a schedule, Keenum could sneak into that mix. So, Jody, are you willing to trust these guys, the Suttons, uh, Lacoste, Keenum? Are you willing to trust these guys in this matchup this week? Obviously, great one with the Bengals or going forward with their great schedule. I'm really kind of ho-hum about Denver. I think you've completely become a, you know, they won their last couple of games and gotten kind of back into contention a little bit here by going with a run-heavy approach, and I don't see any reason why you change that. Quarterback is just so deep and so talented this season. How, in fantasy purpose, you look at Case Keenum, he's down there in the QB 20 to 22 range. It's just really hard, even with an appealing schedule, it's really hard to boost him ahead of those other guys that have just been more consistent. Uh, Keenum, he hasn't topped 300 yards since week six. He hasn't produced more than two touchdowns since week one. He's just been, you know, plugging along every week, getting you a, a touchdown or a touchdown and a half, 190 to 230 yards, just nothing fantastic. He doesn't really do much with his legs. And and now that Philip Lindsay's gotten going, I don't see any anything that even with against the Bengals or they have Cleveland, they have Oakland, they got San Francisco, they got a really, really nice schedule. I just don't see how you're sitting any more established quarterbacks for him. Uh, Cortland Sutton, uh, you know, his role has not changed hardly at all since Demarius Thomas was traded. He's been really, really consistent. Uh, he's gotten at least one and no more than three catches every game this year. And he's posted between 48 and 78 receiving yards and six out of seven Six out of 11 games, excuse me. He's just been, you know, he's just plugging along as a rookie. Uh, he's been totally fine, but there's not a lot of upside there. Even against uh, vulnerable opponents, he still had just kept plugging away, putting up, you know, wide receiver three, wide receiver four numbers. He's only got a pair of touchdowns. There's not a lot of touchdown upside there. Uh, I don't see his role really developing. I don't see anything coming up besides the schedule that tells me that Cortland Sutton's going to be given more opportunities unless. Emmanuel Sanders gets hurt. I don't see him getting a lot more opportunities to get it really ahead of the curve there. And it tied in with, with Lacoste. Now that they're on to their third tight end, not a lot of upside again. It's just an offense that's going to keep plugging along there. However, the one thing I will say is Jeff Huerman at one point was fourth among all tight ends in red zone targets. He had like 12 or 13, like some crazy number before he got hurt. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but... Uh, if they keep if they give Lacoste that kind of role in a red zone, he's going to be on the uh, you know tight, the weekly tight end two streaming radar. And let's face it, it's been a completely disastrous year for that position. So he'll have in in those games coming against this week against the Bengals and against the Browns and the Raiders, he'll have some uh, streaming appeal, but not a lot of upside. Yeah, I, I agree with Lacoste. I think there's just if you can get a, a Gerald Everett or Jonu Smith or even like Chris Herndon. You know, guys like that that have shown a little bit more, I'm going to have more faith. With him, it would be a complete schedule play. Sutton, I actually do kind of like here. I would look at, you know, I would take all those stats that he had. You you rattled off a few of them. I look at it as he's got 50 yards or a touchdown in seven straight games. I, I like that consistency. I do think he has some, you know, red zone chops. And I think with the schedule getting a little bit better here, that could just mean the entire offense gets more scoring opportunities and that could give him uh, an even better chance to produce for fantasy owners. So he's a guy that I think is going to flirt with my wide receiver three range uh, moving forward here. And Keenum, 
kind of as I mentioned before, just not really that interested just based on the fact that there's so many other good quarterbacks out there. Before we get to the overlooked players, before we talk about the defenses that you should be stashing for the playoffs, I want to get your thoughts, Jody, on Jarvis Landry. The Browns offense is coming on. Woods and I talked about the Browns offense and how they've been improving. We talked about it on the Week 12 recap episode on Sunday. But Landry just hasn't really made his mark. You know, we've seen this offense now. We're seeing basically everyone else start to produce. Baker Mayfield's playing pretty well. Nick Chubb obviously looks fantastic. Even Callaway last week had a decent game, 62 yards and a touchdown. He's maybe, you know, knocking off some of the the rookie mistakes he was making earlier in the year. And yet Landry, the last two weeks, his stat line's 2 for 22, 3 for 30. At this point, it's going to be even hard to rank him as a wide receiver 3 this week, which seems crazy because the offense is surging, obviously. So what's your take here, Jody? I mean, what is going on with Landry? Well, look at the big picture. Uh, When targeting Jarvis Landry this year, Browns quarterbacks have a 73.6 QB rating. That's 92nd among all wide receivers in football. So while he was getting targeted, a lot, and I mean a substantial amount of targets, they weren't getting a lot of mileage out of it. It was the usual what you expect from Landry, which is a lot of innocuous passes over the middle, a lot of short passes, but the switch to Freddie Kitchens has been key for a few things for the Browns. They've gave, gave Baker Mayfield some some freedom here, and what you're seeing is him spreading the ball all around rather than forcing all these passes to Jarvis Landry underneath. And what, what Mayfield has been doing is actually throwing a ball a lot more downfield, which has been more beneficial for all the other Browns receivers except for Landry. Before Freddie Kitchens got involved, Mayfield was putting up 6.5 yards per attempt, which is you know slightly below average, but that's jumped up to 8.8 yards per attempt with Freddie Kitchens as the offensive coordinator. That's actually a really respectable number, and it, it makes a huge difference. And then look over the last three weeks, Landry's snap rate has actually declined. He went from 97% in week 10 and then down to 68% in week 11, and then last week, 61%. So he's on the field less. They're throwing more passes. Duke Johnson's gotten more involved. David Njoku's getting getting his share. And then Callaway, Higgins, and even Brashard Perryman, of all people, is actually getting some passes here. So... I think Freddie Kitchens just decided he's not going to rely on these little short passes to Jarvis Landry as much, and he's going to be a little more aggressive, press the ball downfield, and that kind of play calling just hasn't benefited uh, Jarvis Landry, and it's been unfortunate to see him put up the usual numbers that we're used to him putting up had he has in the past, and now he's gotten to the point, uh, Justin, like you just said, he's barely even uh, wide receiver three relevant at this point. I think you nailed it with the snap counts too. The, the last two weeks there to see his snap counts fall like that, that's the most surprising thing. And that's going to end up in, in numbers like we've seen. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give you a few more numbers that I think sort of try to help illustrate what's going on. I think part of the problem is that the Browns miscast Jarvis Landry a little bit when they when they gave him that big contract they want to treat him like a wide receiver one and I think they were throwing to him downfield too much I mean he's catching just about 55 percent of his passes this season the last two seasons that hovered around 70 percent so he's just not catching as many passes and what's the difference I think it's in part it's that some of those targets are too deep down the field if you look at his air yards it's gone up significantly this year and his efficiency numbers have gone down Uh, so it's just 
he really is just a sort of a short, over-the-middle type slot guy, and you need to use him like that. The Browns tried to make him more. It didn't really work out, and now they have an offense with Baker Mayfield who sort of wants to attack vertically, and Landry isn't a huge fit for it. All right, well, maybe we can help the Landry owners find another option to play this week. We do this every week and take a look at players that we think might be being overlooked. It doesn't have to be a wide receiver, Jody, but which player or which players do you think are going to be overlooked in Week 13? Well, we can look at a wide receiver. How about Alshon Jeffrey? Nobody wants anything to do with him now, right? I mean, he's been pretty bad for a month here. He's averaged four catches and 39 yards over his last four games. But I'll tell you what, let's look at this matchup with Washington. Pro Football Focus has Jeffrey slated to get shadowed by white, by cornerback Danny Johnson, an undrafted free agent who stands five foot nine at 181 pounds. <laughs> Jeffrey would have seven inches and 30 pounds advantage over him. He's also uh, Johnson. Pro Football Focus has him rated as 113th uh, coverage corner this season. That is a big time mismatch for Jeffrey. Seems like just the right spot for him to get cooking again. And, you know, if you're getting tired of getting your uh, two catches and 23 yards out of uh, Jarvis Landry, maybe you can maybe you can look towards Jeffrey, another guy who's been pretty cool recently, but a uh, much better situation for him. I like it. Woods, who you got? I got a couple receivers. Chris Godwin's one. You know, we like the talent. Now Deshaun Jackson has a hand injury. I think the last I saw is he's seeing a specialist there. So you got to monitor his status, but I think bump Godwin up if he's playing this weekend, what we can assume would be about an every down roll. Also, Bruce Ellington, don't overlook him. He's got 16 targets over Detroit's last two games. He's sort of filling in in the slot, mostly where Golden Tate used to play, but there's some targets outside available too with Marvin Jones going on IR. The Lions just don't really have a lot of guys to throw to beyond Kenny Galladay, so Bruce Ellington is going to get targets. Mine's going to depend a little bit on whether Mitch Trubisky plays or not. I think if Trubisky plays, this individual is going to move up even higher in my rankings. It's Jordan Howard, and I know he's been quiet the last couple weeks, but that was against mm-hmm. a tough Vikings run defense. And then he had two games against an improved Lions front. They have Snacks Harrison now. Their run defense has gotten better since he arrived. This week, he gets the Giants, though. And here, here's some recent rushing performances against the Giants. Josh Adams, 84 and a touchdown. Peyton Barber, 106 and a touchdown. Matt Breda, 101 and a touchdown. Adrian Peterson, 149 and a touchdown. That's just ridiculous. Those are the last four weeks against them. They've also allowed a rushing touchdown in every single game since week four. So I like Howard as a possible bounce back this week. Uh, We talked last week about players coming off by and how sometimes they can get overlooked. I'd push, I put Josh Reynolds in that category. Not exactly a household name yet, but he had six for 80 and a touchdown before the bye there in that wild game between the Rams and the Chiefs. I think he's going to have a chance to continue to produce like that moving forward. I like the Godwin call Woods. I'd also say Adam Humphreys in there as well with Deshaun Jackson going to see the specialist there. I think those are going to be guys that we saw last year. Godwin came on down the stretch, helped some people win fantasy titles last season. We could potentially see that again if Jackson gets sidelined here. Looking ahead to the fantasy playoffs, though, and I mentioned this off the top, so much attention is paid to players to stash, and we've done it the last few weeks. We've talked about players you should stash, players that you should drop before the fantasy playoffs. Defenses can sometimes get forgotten in that, and I rarely advise people to carry two defenses because, you know, I think it's kind of a foolish use of a roster spot, but at this time of year, it's the one time where I think you can do that. If you're looking ahead, you're trying to get a good matchup there. If you have the Bears D, for example, they're going to have to play the Rams in Week 14. If you have the Ravens D, they're on the road against the Chiefs. Makes both of those teams risky plays. 
So let's wrap things up here. Just toss out some defenses that we are going to stash for the fantasy playoffs if we haven't already. Jody, you can start things off. Uh, how about the Lions? They're widely available on waiver wires. And according to uh, data here at uh, Fantasy Pros, they have the easiest strength of schedule remaining for the rest of the season. Now, they got a tough matchup with the Rams this week. So I wouldn't advise necessarily picking them this week. But week 14, they play at Arizona. Week 15, they play at Buffalo. That's the two worst passing offenses in football. The Lions have a respectable 32 sacks. They can get after the quarterback a little bit. They only have 10 turnovers, but those two matchups against Josh Rosen against Josh Allen, two rookie quarterbacks that are prone to turnovers, uh, really, really good matchups. And if you get to week 16, uh, the Lions are playing at home against Minnesota. Now, that doesn't sound like a great matchup, but at that point, the Vikings may have nothing to play for, which actually may fall into the hands nicely for the Lions. So that's a defense. If I'm actually going to carry a couple, I'm looking to add them now. If I have a team that's got a buy coming up, uh, I really, really like that week that week 14 week 15 slate there against the Cardinals and Bills it's awesome I'll I'll jump in with a couple here uh, the Bills play the Jets at home in week 14 and then the Lions at home in week 15 you really like those matchups I think uh, they play the Patriots in week 16 so you'll have to get off them at that point but I think you can play the Bills those first two weeks of the fantasy playoffs and then a few teams if you're looking to get all the way through the fantasy playoffs with one defense the Redskins and Broncos both have fairly appealing schedules the Redskins go Giants Jags Titans the Broncos play 49ers Browns Raiders those are three game slates that you could imagine a defense uh, putting up some fantasy points so maybe there's just a ton of defenses out there that you could stash maybe you don't even have to because i have another one that the titans they get the jets this week the jags in week 14 the giants in week 15 the redskins in week 16 i really like that they were playing very good defense before the last couple weeks when they had some tougher matchups went against the colts and the texans high-powered offenses there don't forget how well they were playing early in the season if you're looking at just one-off matchups too right you can look ahead and just look at week 14 the steelers get the raiders the Chargers get the the Bengals, who obviously don't have Dalton anymore. Those are matchups that you can go after as well. If you win that first matchup in the playoffs, great. You're into the semifinals. Now go pick up somebody else. You don't necessarily have to have someone the whole time, even though we've thrown out some options that you could keep for the entire fantasy playoffs there. That does it for us today. Make sure you're following Jody on Twitter at Jody Smith NFL and keeping up with all his content over at Fantasy Pros. Jody, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. It was good to finally uh, catch up. For sure, for sure. Woods and I are going to be back on Sunday night, breaking down everything you need to know from Week 13, all the Week 13 results. And we're going to give you that first look at the waiver wire targets that you should be picking up next week. If you want to get in touch with Woods, he's at David P. Woods on Twitter. To see all of our fantasy content, you should always be logging on to the score every single day and following me on Twitter, at Justin Boone. Big thanks to Jody. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening, and we will see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby said leave on time. Leave on time.